0: Hey whiskey ringers i am thrilled to welcome back impex beverages as the whiskey ring podcast presenting sponsor each month we'll be talking about a new set of single casks maybe feature a chosen distillery or single cast from a chosen distillery listen for the mid-roll for more info on this month's offerings and now a brand new episode of the whiskey ring podcast hey folks welcome to a new episode of the whiskey ring podcast Today, we're going over to Michigan. It's been a couple of episodes since we visited Michigan and the Midwest. So we're going to Traverse City Whiskey Company. Now, I've got on with me Chris Fredrickson, who is founder of Traverse City. And I must say, though, just at the start, that this is kind of a, uh, a redo episode for me, if you will. Um, I got the chance to visit Traverse City Whiskey Company back in May of 2021, I guess. Uh, it was right after I started the podcast. I got a great tour uh, with my friend and we got to see the barrels and everything. And only afterwards did I figure out that my audio had stopped about 10 minutes in when I tried to take a picture. So, I But all that said, I am thrilled to bring on Chris Fredrickson again, founder of Traverse City. Chris, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And on behalf of Traverse City, thank you for pronouncing the name Traverse City correctly.
0: <laughs> no I, how I, do you usually get like I, Traverse I was, or
1: tra- Traverse? And it's um, you are you are the uh, minority here. I bet ninety percent of people that don't know the name uh, end up pronouncing it incorrectly.
0: <laughs> Fair. Yeah, we we've got. Um, I mean, I've heard of you guys just generally. If, been fans for i've been a fan for a while and tasted a lot of products but um even before that i just had friends in uh in michigan closer to the detroit area but we took the trip up there and they just yeah. raved about the area of traverse city so when i was going in i knew the name right away i wasn't going to screw it up then i was not going to screw it up now
1: <laughs> we appreciate it
0: so you know i thought uh normally of course it's a whiskey or a spirits podcast but uh traverse city being what it is and where it is i thought maybe we'd start instead with uh the cherries
1: yeah yes premium cocktail cherries
0: indeed so um so there's really a couple areas to go here it's the premium cocktail cherries which uh will be you know i've never done a review of cocktail cherries but i probably should um these have been my go-to cocktail cherries since i visited and tasted them yeah Um, They took the place of the Blanton's cocktail cherries. These are now the only ones I use. Although I have to say that I'm trying some from Mammoth Mm, Michigan you know, a Michigan competitor slash friend slash competitor Uh, and I'm going to do a cocktail taste off with them because they they talked, they they had great things to say about yours, of course but they talked of their own as well. So I got to, you know, got to try them out. Yeah. Uh, Heck yeah. So I was thinking about this, and uh, I've never had the chance to ask this question before. But um, you know, we'll get into the history and the story of Traverse City Whiskey Company. But one of the earlier stories is uh, you had to open a tasting room and cocktail bar to to keep the doors open initially, mm-hmm. and uh, between that and having cherries around, you are you know you've got a ready-made recipe for creating a cocktail cherry so what is the process of creating a cocktail cherry
1: yeah <clears throat> so the that that process was actually um a several year endeavor and it involved sampling a lot of different varieties so let's back up one step traverse city the uh, cherry capital of the world so the one thing that traverse city does is cherries which uh, mean which means that we do a lot of cherries but it also means that we cultivate uh, many varieties of cherries uh, there are two two different um, groups of cherries there's sweet cherries and sour cherries and we we dug through um, many many varieties to find a cherry that was um, appetizing both um, you know in a dessert application but but obviously in a cocktail application as well. And one thing that we were keen on was finding a, a variety of cherry that after, after canning it, after heating it up and going through a proper canning process, uh, maintained its integrity. Didn't get mushy, didn't get weak. Um, still had what we always refer to as an elegant bite or what the team and our cherry what we call cherry land, the cherry processors, they call us a seductive snap. And it's that, it's that bite that, you know, after the cherries in a cocktail um, and it's, a lot of people enjoy it mid cocktail or at the end of their cocktail, but after it's sitting in the cocktail for, you know, five to 20 minutes, 30 minutes, it still has a soul. It still has um, kind of that, that rigid texture. So that was, you know, we dove through many varieties, found that texture. That we liked and um, and would hold up over the course of time, and then and then we had to kind of narrow down. You know, what do we want this cherry? You know, how do we how do we complement the cherry in the best way? And and that was you know we have a the cherry rests in a it's like a simple syrup, um, and the reason that it has to is because if the cherry were just in a jar by itself, the cherries would in volume they would crush themselves. So they have to live in a cherry syrup. In addition to that, um, you know, we, we do add our uh, cherry whiskey on top of the cherries. And uh, while we do go through a propagating process, that alcohol is cooked off, but it maintained we also maintain the essence of the cherry whiskey in the cherries. So I mean that's that's kind of our general process. And it took about two years to, to step through it. You know, we've never done it before. we were one of the one of the first in the U.S. to to create something like this, and you know it. It's always a, a it's always a form of flattery when you know others follow, but it's something that we we pioneered, and it was a new process, and nobody else knew what they were doing, so we had to kind of create it from the ground up, and and build a process that was um, both true to Traverse City and true to to what we stand for, and that was kind of the blend of a local fruit <clears throat> meets. The simple syrup or a cherry syrup meets our whiskey, and that's kind of where all three play a role.
0: You know, with that the with a specific process you've got for, you know, the cocktail cherries. Yeah. When you when you were designing it, uh, you know, the part about the texture and holding their uh, seductive snap is a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the textural part. Uh, I think you've elaborated on really well. I'm curious too, Though, were you looking for a particular um, flavor profile? Like once you found a cherry or a couple of cherries maybe that could fit the texture that you were looking for and hold up, were you Mm -hmm. then looking for a particular profile to to either match a cocktail menu that you wanted to create or Mm -hmm. on the other side, perhaps just be a new flavor that stood out from, let's say the Luxardo's of the world?
1: Yeah. No, that's a great question. Yeah, our our mission statement from day one has led us in a, a very specific direction. And it's kind of, whenever I think about it personally, I kind of compare it to why bitters were invented. Bitters were invented to complement the sweet of a bourbon. So you've got, you know, corn leads to a sweet profile and the bourbon and then bitters being bitter um, kind of complement and combat that to equalize a cocktail we took the same exact philosophy of the cocktail cherries, where by introducing something that is sweet, so it's a sour cherry. It's a, it's a Balaton sour cherry. That's the variety that we use. With, you know, the, the cherry syrup that the cherries live in is lightly sweet, lightly sweet. But the cherry itself, you could call it a sour cherry or you could call it a tart cherry. And so the cherry... Itself is tart with that subtle sweetness. So the comparison here is that balance between that subtle sweetness and the tart, and so it's it's just a, it's a balanced flavor profile, and that's one thing that you know other other competitors of ours in this market they gravitate they gravitate towards sweet sweet sweet, and that's fantastic. But it's just it's a different direction than we wanted to go.
0: Uh, before I leave the topic, I mean, have have you tried Mammoth's cherries?
1: I have, yeah. I, they do a brandy cherry, um, and it's uh, it's a, it's just it's a different take. Uh, I think they do a fine job, and yeah, it's um, it is uh, it, like like everybody else in the market. It, it's a it's a different approach to the category.
0: Fair enough. Again, I they've I've gone through now two. Full jars of them. And uh, honestly, is. I'm not much of a cocktail guy at home, but I've still gone through two jars of them. Just pluck them right out and pop them. So, what yeah. can I say? Delicious. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to, you know, push forward the timeline a bit. And so, Traverse City founded Traverse City Whiskey Company. I'm going to say Traverse City like it's a city. I mean, talking about the whiskey company. Yeah. Um, yep. More for the audience (laughs) than anyone else, but so Travis said he's founded, you know, in 2012, you start Mm -hmm. distilling uh, in twenty fourteen, and have just grown and grown and grown since then uh, to the point where, uh, you know, to not even no, pretty recently you were saying that you on the Bourbon Noobs podcast that you were creating the largest, uh, largest family owned distillery north of Kentucky.
1: Yes. Yes. Yep. That is
0: accurate. So there's a lot in between the two points there that, that has happened and, you know, we'll get to as much as we can, of course, in the time. Uh, So I want to look at it through a couple of different lenses. And the first one is your um, contract producing initially, like when you first started selling whiskey, uh, you were getting it from MGP. Yep. And long-time listeners will have no, will Know that I have no problem with. Uh, I know you prefer the phrase contract producing. Some use uh, sourcing if it's particularly if it's from an age stock. But you know I've got no problem with it either way. As long as it's good whiskey, I don't care. <laughs> so, in the course of your relationship with MGP, from you know from the beginning where you were just buying the barrels because you needed whiskey to sell as you were creating your own profile and your own brand uh to now there's been a tremendous number of brands that have popped up using mgp of any number of their products so someone who was using it a decade ago when there were many fewer distilleries and non-distilling producers on the you know in the country you know what does it look like from the perspective of someone who you know knew them back then if you will and have seen all these other companies use it to you know, to one effect or another.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's been a, it's been a roller coaster of a, of a relationship because, you know, when we started back in, when we sold our first bottle back in July of 2012, nobody could have predicted where the industry was headed and, and what that would look like. And we were, um, I don't know if we were. We're one of the first in the Midwest, I think, to lean pretty hard on MGP as a contract partner. And, you know, with that saturation, I think it, just everybody, uh, including us, began to scale. And the reason that I always lean on the term contract producer is because we've been, we just, we've had this long term partnership and produced uh, year to year with MGP along the way. And you're absolutely right. The sourcing uh, title typically leans on, you know, maybe a newer, a newer brand that is sourcing aged uh, products. Whereas we've, we've just, we've been in a partnership with MGP along the way. And, you know, like, I think like a lot of brands similar to us or companies similar to MGP, we've, we've kind of just scaled together and we've had our own independent challenges, um, whether it be, you know, <laughs> MGP in the background has been, scaling in a very uh pretty miraculous way. Just having to throw up warehouse after warehouse after warehouse. And you know, one thing that we've always appreciated is that our core bourbon recipe has been um, at the heart of what they've produced. Uh, 75% corn, 21% rye, 4% malted barley. You know, that makes up the they would it does make up the majority of our uh the base flavor, or sorry, the base spirit for our our what's in front of me now? our, our bourbon, our barrel proof bourbon, our cherry whiskey, our peach infused whiskey, and our apple infused whiskey, along with a couple others that have been uh, that are legacy at this point. but um, yeah it's been it's been pretty interesting just just working you know it's typically a lot of the same people too that we that we worked with in such a almost boutique way back in the day before mGP really had the legs that they have today and building those relationships and just kind of working in harmony. And we've, we, you know, we both had our challenges and um, you know, but through it all, we've uh, we both kind of maintained loyal to one another and it's uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an adventure for sure, but it's been fun. It's it's also been fun to watch different groups pop up around the country and lean on a partner like MGP who does several things really well and and just kind of see their take on it, whether that be infusion, um uh, like our infusion series, the, the cherry, the apple and the peach, or finishes like a, a port barrel finish or a uh, share you know, whatever whatever that looks like to to the respective organization.
0: And at the time, I think this was when, oh, this is also on Bourbon New. I'm just checking my notes on this. So, you know, you'd started out with obviously before distilling 100% MGP, um, 100% MGP bourbon, and then had moved over the years to 50 50 blend in 2017, you know, 60 40, then 70 30. And then as of about two months ago, as of recording at least, uh, you said you're now down to about a ninety ten split in terms of your own distillate and MGP's distillate in your in your stocks. Is that uh, kind of where you'd like to stay for the moment?
1: Um, that's where we're. That's where we have to stay for the moment. Yeah, there. Um, you know, they're, uh, Our our cherry whiskey took off uh, in a in a pretty big way back in. Uh, right around that 2017-2018 you know, time, which is when that shift happened between our own, our own juice and MGPs. And we're now in this this limbo phase where we're bringing this new facility online and we'll have a a great deal of distilling capacity. And at the same time, just kind of need to, to let our own engine run and uh, both cycle through existing inventory and... And then help use that to uh, to realize our new distillery. So the, the transition, I I don't see us straying from that that current roadmap at any time, anytime soon.
0: And with that growth, you know, has that meant you know, in some ways it's, I see there's obviously less MGP going into each bottle, but at the same time you're also producing many more bottles and adding more distillate and more volume to your stocks. Uh, so in terms of the relationship with MGP distilling for you, because I know you now at this point, you're taking new make, not aged stuff from them, but new make and aging it in Michigan um, has the volume that you're getting from MGP decreased, or is it still kind of staying the same just by sheer nature of how many bottles you're producing?
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we lean on them pretty hard for for a few years uh over the last probably i don't know four or five years again they were a great partner and we have we, we haven't produced them in a little bit and i don't i think the goal is to to try to be self-sufficient between now and when we bring our new uh distilling system online so i i don't want to say that you know our our partnership is done but it's um you know we're really we're we're really eager to cut our teeth in the distilling world and, and just kind of showcase what we're capable of on our own. So that's that's our go-forward strategy. It's, it's something that you know through 2023, I'm not sure if we're going to produce uh, again until we we um, start laying down our own barrels in in, in mass. Uh, the, the new system that we're bringing online capable of producing up to 70 barrels a day so it's a big it's a big shift from you know the the three or four we're capable of
0: today yeah that's i mean that's huge you're uh (laughs) i think when i was there i i know i saw the stills they were um kote stills
1: yeah good memory yeah yep
0: and um kind of a pot still hybrid or pot Yeah, pot yeah yep and Yeah, I mean, three to four barrels for for the volume that you're producing. If you want to become the biggest distillery, family-owned distillery north of Kentucky, obviously, you got to up the numbers a little bit there. But 70, (laughs) I mean, that's, 70 is a solid number there for sure. So uh, just, you know, the last couple questions regarding the MGP relationship, just because it's it's where a lot of people start, um, even nowadays, is, by nature of it being a very well-known recipe, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, and this can apply to the, to the bourbon, but it can also apply to, to the rye stocks as well. Um, as you've transitioned from, you know, that initial buying of the age stock to new make to blending the new make with your own distillate to age has the, you know, has the profile changed over the years for your whiskeys and, and, well, I'll start with that. Has the profile changed over the years? Then I'll get to a second question there.
1: You know, there's there's several ways to look at that. Um, I'd say the profile has been it, it's always evolving. You know, uh, up in northern Michigan, we have this crazy climate, major temperature fluctuations, and and just a lot of a lot of fun variables that are are unique to Traverse City. So that's one piece of this. Um, the other part is we did make a point to diversify with, uh, Cooperage back in 2020. Well, actually it started in 2015 during the wood shortage. There was a a flood in 2015. that caused a major drought in the Oak market and that forced us to, to look at a handful of players, um, anywhere, you know, we, we used to live, um, with, uh, independent stave as a, primary partner and then diversified out to Canton and Calvin and uh, Sequin Moreau and uh, a few others and, or EBC. And so, you know, over the years we just, we kept uh, trying, you know, partnering with different cooperages. And um, because of that, the flavor profile, um, kind of the main, like the vein of the, the standard bourbon, um, has continued to evolve in a in a in a very fun way, and it's it's really our blenders that are do the credit to maintain continuity in what we taste, and at the same time, you know, no two barrels are created equal, so it, it makes it so it's a discovery process.
0: I mean, there was a a time, and I forget which podcast this was on, but you called Canton in particular, Canton Cooperage, the uh, Ferrari of Cooperage.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: And they are. And, uh, you know, Kelvin uh, was an early guest on on this podcast because I just wanted to know more about Coopering. Never thought of it and never knew anything. So they were fun. And uh, I've gotten to talk to Greg Snyder, who's, uh, I know he had some influence on you early on. And it's one of the few master distillers that has that experience of being also head of a Coopering facility. (laughs) So, uh, you know, I was going to ask this a little bit later, but I think it fits now, which is, with with not only the the variety of products you have which is significant in its own right uh when you're when you have to deal with those different cooperages each of them bringing their own bringing their own wood their own styles their own whatever it may be um is there kind of a method to deciding which cooperage you're going to use for which product or is it deliberately kind of I don't want to say scattershot because that's not the word that's right, but you know, is there a process to choosing when you use each distill each uh, cooperage?
1: Yeah, that's, no, that's a great question. And the, the, the easy answer is it's, it's deliberate. It's deliberately scattered. And the reason being, we just haven't been around long enough and we haven't partnered with each cooperage long enough to to say with uh, consistency, this is what we can expect. And every, you know, every, because every barrel also goes through its own life cycle, right? We know we, we know we think we're going to expect after, you know, our two to six or seven year uh, life cycle, but mm-hmm. it's, it's really something that will require probably another couple of years with all of these probably five or six partners that, that we've, that we work with, uh, with barrels. And, they are all different and they're also yeah it's it's interesting because the the other variables about um entry proof um when the barrel is laid down when it you know they, they typically enter our warehouse in short order and where they live in the racks there's <laughs> there, there's just a lot of factors that dictate what's right for the right product at the right time
0: sure and That goes into, like how this is flowing very well so far. This is a good sign. So this flows into this idea of uh, the whiskeys talking to specific audiences. Mm -hmm. And while there's the cooperage aspect, so starting from the beginning, but also the maturation process, um, as you said, where a barrel is in the rickhouse and where it is in its life cycle will make a big difference and so you know with <clears throat> with that this is also from bourbon noobs you were saying that for example with the bourbons the barrel proof bourbon and your quote unquote regular straight bourbon are not it's not the same product in the sense that it's not like the barrel proof is just a higher strength version of the of right. one and the other one is a proof down version of the other. It depends on where they are in the life cycle, where they are in the Rick house and they have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I just love to you know, hear you expand on that a bit.
1: Yeah. So um, the starting at the top, the major qualifier for the difference is going to be age. One, our regular bourbon, the 86 proof, is a minimum age of four years where the barrel proof is age between five and six years that's the first easy hitter so that you know the barrel proof has an extra two years in the barrel that's a lot of that's all a lot of love from the oak Mm -hmm. the the second qualifier is just going to be the location that they live in the rickhouse so the barrel proof um i'm sure you you can probably see it um, on camera but the barrel proof it's just it's a deeper amber now of course that comes from age it also comes from the fact that uh, the barrel-proof barrels live higher in elevation. Um, we have four rat, or four levels for elevations in the brick house, and the barrel-proof barrels live up top. Um, without getting too deep in the weeds, um, in Michigan, because we have these fortified seasons, we have a higher relative humidity and lower temperatures than Kentucky and Tennessee. You have, you have two compounds in the barrel, and based on those conditions, you have um, these two compounds, ethanol and water, each which will evaporate at a different rate based on the climate. Down in Kentucky, it's very common to see a bourbon in the barrel uh, come out at 130 or 135 proof. Whereas up here in Michigan, a bit colder, again, the high relative humidity, um, alcohol evaporates first. So we lose proof. But again, without getting too deep in the weeds, there is uh, several schools of thought that suggests that water plays better in wood than alcohol. So this enhanced aging cycle uh, for the whiskey for both the barrel proof and what we call the bottle proof, the 86 proof. um, It's complemented a lot by the climate. So We've got the bottle proof, which is four years old, and these these barrels are, you know, it's a it's a it's a much more highly distributed product where the barrel proof is a it's just a bit more sophisticated. It's a little bit older and it lives at a higher elevation, therefore it has a more complex flavor profile and just more depth. Uh, whereas the bourbon is is a it's a classic expression. It's a you know it's a daily driver. It's it's very very versatile to a lot of audiences uh, for cocktails pouring meat whatever it might be
0: and when you were kind of designing the the SKUs over the years did you have that idea of uh, tailoring each product to an to a particular audience or is that just a, an organic growth
1: um, I, I would say that I guess it's um, it's been part of the strategy sort of but at the end of the day it's it it was just kind of an evolution of the the portfolio um, you know the, the barrel fruit bourbon came about because we we cracked some barrels and we tried it we or we launched in 2012 in July of 2012 with the straight bourbon and we were opening up these just these incredible barrels and then somebody was like why are we adding water to this it's so good and so we decided to we decided to bottle some and, and create a barrel proof bourbon and it just it the whole portfolio has been kind of that same evolution Where it's we try something we're, we're really big on playing we love experimenting and it's it's what we call uh thoughtful spaghetti so you throw you're not throwing spaghetti at the wall you're throwing thoughtful spaghetti at the wall. And it's it's something that's fun and, and near and dear. And if it hits, so to speak, and people like it, fantastic. And if they don't, that's okay. We we enjoyed trying. It, and We enjoyed trying to make it happen.
0: I was trying to find uh, the pictures, and I just ran out of time. But the pictures from when I was up there, and we got to pull from a cask. It was definitely a cask of a particular finishing. I want to say it was something red as dumb as that sounds yes <laughs> um, yep no, no no you're right yeah but uh you know it was it was a barrel that was laying on its side it wasn't palletized it was um on its side it was much it was probably a wine or a sherry because it was larger than a typical 53 gallon mm-hmm. not to look up which one that was but whatever it was was delicious and uh curtis said you know it's, we got one barrel of this gonna try it and see if it works and uh, as far as i know that hasn't come out to market yet so maybe that's still sitting there waiting
1: it, it is in the queue that's for sure
0: all right i'm excited for that one because like i said i tried it right out of the barrel It you know, god help you don't add water to that one either uh so with the before we uh go on to to the to the ride i just want to take a quick tangent and go to you know what do your your warehouses or brick houses look like what's your aging structure
1: yeah so <clears throat> our our current uh, usable rick house at our the facility that i'm at right now that you visited uh what we call tc2 uh we house about a thousand barrels and the barrels are all categorized by what the product requires at the time um you know we have of course our our younger Whiskey, which we use for the infusion series—the cherry, the peach, and the apple—and those live in their own quadrant. And then, and then we have a, a whole section for the bourbons that again are all—they um, live, they live in a very strategic way, so that what needs to be pulled at a certain date is ready, and then what you know the the younger stuff is behind it, so it's just constantly being rolled out um, to support the bodily needs needs at the time. Um, so that, you know, the, the rick house that we use here at TC two, um, uh, like I said, holds about a thousand barrels. And then we just finished erecting our new barrel warehouse at our the new campus, which is what we call TC three. And at TC three, um, uh, I'll, I'll have our, our mutual friend Aaron share a photo of it, but we just finished building a 20,000 square foot barrel warehouse. Uh, four levels, three racks per level uh, with a barrel elevator. And it is, yeah, it's beautiful. And we're we're eager to start moving barrels in Q1. So it'll be, uh, yeah, it'll kind of just be race ready for, the next evolution of uh, aging barrels up in our City,
0: and this is going back again to uh, you know three years ago to to when you were on with Dad's drinking bourbon. But at that time, I think it was when you were kind of designing this warehouse and imagining what it was going to look like and new campus. At that point, uh, you had told John and Zeke you were still deciding whether or not to implement you know temperature controls or to allow just natural. Mm-hmm. Temperature variation to occur. What did you end up going with?
1: Bare, bones. Bare uh, bones, no, yeah, zero temperature control. It's uh, it's the barrels and the northern Michigan climate. So, <clears throat> the the way that a traditional rickhouse is built is the racks are built, and then metal is slapped on the side. And for all intents and purposes, that's exactly what we did.
0: And like you said, you got some serious temperature variation there. So, uh, you can, you know, it's not going to take it like in Scotland, it's not going to take 10, 12 years necessarily to age. You got good whiskey at four years old or even younger with some, with some of the products Yeah. with, let's see, keeping, keeping in mind that the, uh, you know, the warehouses are, so they're open to the, no, they're not open, but they're pretty much exposed with no control. Um, mm-hmm. I just thought of this question, but um, sometimes when you have a warehouse that's very near a body of water, Mm -hmm. it can, the barrels can um, take on some of the effect of that water. So I'm thinking in particular, for example, um, ironclad distillery in Virginia is on the brackish St. James river right on Newport news. And when I first tried their bourbon, there was something, there was a flavor that I couldn't quite identify. It was just something very new. And finally, when I talked to them, they were like, oh, that's probably what it is. Cause you know, you've tasted salinity in scotches and what have you. And I was tasting that. And that. Do you already see or do you anticipate some kind of uh, flavor imparting from, uh, from, you know, like Michigan?
1: No, that's a, that's, that's, I have not been asked that question before, nor has that crossed my mind. Um, because, you know, it's certainly possible, uh, but, you know, with this, one of the largest fresh water, um, or one of the largest fresh bodies of water in the world, um, you know, Lake, Lake Michigan and Traverse City, I guess, uh, pride itself on kind of the clarity of the water. Um, you know, when you're out in Traverse Bay, which is an extension of Lake Michigan, you're out 30 40 50 feet you can see the bottom there's no there's no uh no pollution no it's just it's pristine character and so i'd be curious you know we're not we're not far tc3 is less than a quarter mile from from lake michigan and it will be it'll be very interesting to see what a role that plays in the maturation process
0: you just need a couple of good breezes off off uh, Traverse Bay and get some good, yeah, yeah. It's good flavor there. I, I genuinely am curious. Cause um, again, I, I've tried, I've gotten it in other whiskeys and it's it's never something anyone kind of anticipates happening. And then suddenly they're like, why is this? Why is there salt in my whiskey? Or why is there this flavor? Um, so, you know, I'm very curious to see what, what happens. Um, the other reason I'm curious is you know, we're talking, obviously, we're talking Traverse City Whiskey Company, but I'm inevitably bringing up Mammoth because they're, um, it's, it's also Michigan and there are they're elements that cross over in the thought processes. And one of them was, uh, they were kind enough to send uh, a sample of their peat at Single malt to try. Mm. And again, flavor wise, you know, it, it was like Michigan peat. And I'd never had like Michigan peat, let alone, um, I realized I'd never had freshwater peat before. Only, you know, whatever they got in Scotland, really. Right. Yeah. And um, I'll be honest, and I was very honest with them too. I just, it just wasn't for me. Uh, they were like, "It's fine, you know. Not everything is for everyone." But it did have a very particular flavor to it. That again, maybe it's maybe that's something that comes through. There is something that can come from even a very clean water. That maybe it's a freshness or a like who knows. But yeah, that's, that's very me.
1: interesting. Yeah, will be something to look out for. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, hey, who who knows? All right. So, and there there are so many um, skews that you guys have, and I haven't tasted something I didn't like yet. Uh, we're not going to get to all of them, but I did want to touch uh, in between the products on kind of the ethos of of how you do business. And this is going. I had to find a esoteric podcast for this one, but the uh, the terrapin small biz connection <laughs> was in wow, twenty twenty. You,
1: you did your research. I you know. I, I That's yeah, fantastic.
0: So you know, you were talking about uh, not just obviously it's a business podcast. So it's not talking about the 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 whiskey so much as the things behind it and. This hadn't really crossed my mind as a topic to talk about until I uh, recently met up with Heather Green from, among other things, right now, Mylman Green Distillery in Texas. And she said, you know, I'm tired of people talking to me about being um, a distiller. Like I, I, I've been asked every question. I'd rather, you know, no one's ever asked me about being a whiskey CEO and a whiskey business person. So on one, so my first question for you with that is, uh, you know, you you spoke on that podcast about particulars that distilleries face that others don't, such as you know zoning, for example. Um, what were you know? Are you still learning things about the whiskey business and and figuring out as you create this new campus, new requirements and new things that you've got to kind of just go with?
1: Yeah, no, you're you're talking to my heartstrings, man. It's uh, this is kind of. This is at the this is at the soul of where my time is going right now, and one thing that I've learned because we've this is going to be our fourth location that we've opened. We've got TC one, uh, our our still house and tasty room downtown cocktail bar downtown Traverse City. We've got TC two, our production facility, bottling facility, and barrel aging facility that I'm at right now. TC three. Which is the campus that we're opening, and in TC, well, we call it TC Four or D- our Detroit tasting room. But we've experienced, we- we've had now three and a half experiences, and TC Three is it was just a, it's been a fun daily reminder that we are pioneers, and so much about being a pioneer is is partnering with your local township or your local county. And it's a, it's a partnership that requires proactive communication and education. And so many times, now this is, it'll be the third time that we're entering a new township. It happens to be the second time in this county, but it's an education game and we're all sort of learning it together. And one thing that we've, um, a principle that we've held from day one has been, to, has been to not to not be scared to ask for help. And so we've leaned on a lot of industry experts to help guide us through this process that have been through it in many, many, many different municipalities, dealt with the, the layers of uh, jurisdiction, whether that be construction code, building code, um, mechanical, electrical, um, the fire marshal, which is like the core, you know, the key relationship is, is the fire marshal, and and just really working with, not against, but with um, these groups, and making sure that you're you're aligned on every move, because without that alignment, it's everybody loses. So, so yeah, it's, it's what we're working on right now, and we're probably twenty five percent through the the education process with our, our local, um, municipalities. And it's, it's, a, it's certainly a challenge, especially, you know, nobody like we just put up this big where this 20,000 square foot warehouse, there's yeah. nothing like it, in Michigan. So nobody has a framework, no, 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 um, employee of the government here locally has a guide from anybody in Michigan to say, what did you do? How did it go? What were the challenges? And so we, again, this has happened to us several times, we, as the pioneers, just kind of have to learn the hard way and muscle through as a partner and work, work with, work with everybody. And it's, it's not always great, but, um, it's part of the process and it, yeah, it's, 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 it is fun. But as a business owner, it is challenging because we're we can't we, yeah, we can't go to anybody and just say, you know, what what should we do? It's it's a harmonious conversation.
0: And that also means of course you don't know yet if uh, any neighbors are gonna end up with some of that black mold. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, no, we're yeah. um we're we're opening the bread factory and we're um yeah, we're we're educating everybody around us to make sure everybody's in the know, and um, yeah, we've got a really really nice community um, over in our little pocket north of Traverse City.
0: And when you were when Traverse City was, was founded, and you're creating these structures and and starting to age whiskey there and sell it, um, inevitably you're you're going to come up with those communities. You're going to start talking with them. Was there any initial like resistance to? Traverse City being there as a as a business and as a distillery
1: um, at our at our no I mean actually I was going to say at our new location but not not at any location um, we've been we've always tried to be good stewards of the community generally and be respectful and um, and yeah just promote promote a positive a working relationship with everybody around us, including our neighbors downtown, like downtown Traverse City and down in Detroit and, and out here uh, in the county that I'm, you know, where I'm currently at. And there's just been a lot of positive vibes and um, warm welcomes from, from everybody.
0: That's awesome. I know but not every distillery can say that to uh, new or heritage distilleries. So worth noting. Yeah. So there was another uh, topic that came up in that particular podcast, which I wanted to bring up because I I'll say upfront, I agree with the perspective that you're going to bring. I know you don't know what I'm talking about yet, but I agree with the perspective. Um, but in today's context, it's a little, it might be a little controversial. So the idea was that you're, starting at the local level and seeing kind of what the environment is and, and it being that kind of more like the business environment, as opposed to necessarily the climatic environment and looking at what fits best for the business, not necessarily what, and and how that might differ from what you want to achieve. So the example you gave was you don't necessarily source your grain locally just for the sake of sourcing it locally and saying you're local and that you can retain a strong local focus without being uh, the word you used was myopic about it and now having said that out loud you can see how like i do actually agree with what you're saying there but it can be a little bit controversial especially now it's nowadays where everyone's like where are you getting your grain from where You know, are you localized? Are you getting the water from a local, you know, all this kind of stuff. So do you, you know, do you still feel that way? And, um, how do you maintain that, that strong local focus without necessarily, you know, getting the grain from within 50 miles of the distillery? It is December, which means you're looking for the perfect whiskey to give the people you love this season, including yourself. The bourbon hunt is coming to an end, and some special releases are still to come, but I'm here to offer a different, uniquely sustainable option from our presenting sponsor, Impex Beverages. Our Dominican distillery is one of Scotland's newest producers, located in the Highlands and founded less than a decade ago in 2014. From the start, sustainability has been at the core of their operations. Local, renewable energy fuels the distillery, and the nearby river generates hydroelectric power. Biomass boilers use wood chips from local forestry, and stillage feeds livestock across the peninsula. Their first single malt whiskies came out in 2020 and were immediate successes. The distillery's two signature styles, a peated and unpeated highland, are matured in two sets of casks. 65% of the liquid goes into ex-bourbon, and 35% into ex-sherry casks, blended at the end for an impressive spirit, redolent with fruitiness waxy character, and true West Coast Scottish charm. As an aside for you blockchain lovers out there, each bottle's journey can be tracked via a QR code on the bottle from field to glass. I've now got two Arden Americans on my shelf, their core single malt available at most stores nationwide, and a single cask bottling from the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, another sponsor of the Whiskering podcast. For that holiday gift, consider a single cask release from the Impex Collection. A six-year-old first-fill Olorosa Spanish Oak cask, this bottle comes from some of Arden American's earliest stocks. Only 300 bottles are available from cask number 86P, bottled at a hefty 58.2% ABV. Check out the website, or reach out if you want help grabbing a bottle. Happy Holidays everyone, enjoy your whiskey responsibly, and remember the two rules of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. Drink what you like, and drink it how you like it. Hey, Whiskey Ringers. I hope you've been taking advantage of that podcast-only code for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. They've got around 20 bottlings coming out each month, and there's never a shortage of new things to explore. For the holiday season, December, January, we've got even more bottles than usual, available to try and available to buy. If you are a U.S.-based listener, there are at least 12 casks just for this month's release, plus additional ones coming out. If you are a UK listener or an EU listener, there are over 30, a ridiculous number of bottles that you can try and get your hands on. Remember to use code WRP at checkout to get 25% off your annual membership. And when you get that special bottle, post a picture on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and tag us at Whiskey My Wedding Ring, Whiskey Ring Podcast, and hashtag Whiskey Ring to let us know you've got that great bottle in hand.
1: Yeah. So I, to, to an extent, or I'd say, uh, I, I do, I still predominantly feel that way. And I think that, you know, that the easy example that I give is the grain, you know, do we, do we source from our neighbor? Not always as much as possible. Uh, our approach has always been best in class and, sacrificing that uh you know to to maintain that hyper local uh story i guess Mm -hmm. um, is it's something that we we haven't that we've we've really prided ourselves on just you know creating the best um and with a lot of the ingredients that drive our our innovation engine our production engine Mm -hmm. it holds very true i mean it's all a lot is sourced from within several miles of where I'm at. And what's not is, is, is a future discussion, you know, as, especially as we, especially as we bring this new facility online, there's going to be a lot of fun new partnerships that we pursue. Um, you know, we're, the, the spent grain as an example, this is just a, a fun, easy example, but the spent grain, um, from a day of production, will feed north of two hundred heads of cattle. So it's this it's this new this new relationship with a lot of local farmers um, to provide a feed source, right? So that's kind of the output. But then the input is is working with different um, Michigan grain producers that have seen what's going on nationwide, or even in the Midwest. And it begun scaling up to support an operation this big. So I'll tell you, while it hasn't always been in our DNA to do everything we do uh, in a hyper-local way, that is the goal. I mean, that's what we're working toward, especially with this new uh, grain-to-bottle distillery that has a very functional, high-volume output.
0: You know, again, I I was curious about it because I heard it, and it goes against, forgive the pun, it goes against the grain of where people are going right now, <laughs> with that hyperlocal, like hyperlocal or bust kind of thought process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's good to hear that it's it's more nuanced than that. It's not doesn't mean that you're going to commodity grain or just to anything you can find. You're still being picky about where the grain is and again we're keeping grain as the example just doesn't mean that it's from the farm next door Mm -hmm. and that's okay yeah 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 Yeah. and i will say uh that farmers yeah they usually do like having or at least cattle farmers like having distilleries nearby because their cows really happy (laughs) so yeah so i thought i'd be curious to know if there's um how do i put this there are more production or um, better yield? I don't know. From from cattle being fed spent whiskey mash as opposed to and getting you know a little buzzed half the time versus traditional feed. Um, I don't know. Let's find a cow and ask them. Who knows? So um, anyway, with uh, with that, you know, there is a question of cost, of course. And it's worth noting, I mean, I don't uh, have the price in front of you, but I'm pretty sure none of your whiskeys are above like 85, 80 bucks, something like that. And that dovetails with a conversation of, you know, where does the grain come from, where are the barrel's coming from, you know, quality versus availability and, and all the factors that go into it. Um, and I want to go two routes on it. The first one is to go cost down, which is the fact that you sell. Three bottle sets of 200 milliliter bottles Mm. now from a business perspective i mean i've been asking almost every distillery that i've been to that doesn't do something like this i'm like hell do it in 50 or 100 milliliter i don't care but you know do that so that people can try stuff especially when it was during covid and during lockdowns when you couldn't go anywhere i thought Mm -hmm. the tasting kits they're it's an incredible opportunity for people to try your whiskeys, and I figure it's more—I know it's more costly for the producer because you've got smaller bottles, smaller volume. So I get that part, but at the same time, I think, like, if I bought a 200 milliliter bottle of whiskey and didn't like it, I'd be okay with that. Mm-hmm. If I bought a, a 200 and did like it, I'd be like, oh great, I got to try it before buying a 750. If I bought a 750 and I don't like it especially at the prices that some things are commanding nowadays, you know, it's, it's at minimum disappointing and sometimes downright frustrating. So, absolutely, you know, getting to try it, if you can't go, to, if you're not at Detroit or in Traverse City and you can't try it on site, getting to try it in these smaller packs is something I, I really encourage others to do. I'm curious how you came about, how you came around to the idea of doing that.
1: Yeah, it was I mean it honestly it was exactly it, it barked up that that very tree of wanting to share so much of so much of the especially our infusion series, the the cherry, mm-hmm. uh the peach and the apple, um, are all about I guess all of our lower proof spirits is all about approachability. And the idea behind the two hundred ml just you know, set, which by the way, just um in transparency, we do have two uh, two sets of yes. the three-pack.
0: I should have said um, that, but yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Actually, we have three sets now. <laughs> um, it's all about approachability and, and showcasing what we can showcase in one occasion. Um, so we have the barrel-proof three-pack kit, um, the bourbon wheat and rye. Mm-hmm. We have the bottle-proof, the bourbon cherry rye. But then this year, just as a fun holiday push, we released what we call the um, cake-free fruit cake, and it's uh, the infusion series and 200 mL bottles in a three-pack.
0: Sounds interesting. It
1: it lets you share. You know, also to your point earlier about the 50 mL and the 100 mL. 50 mL is a very small portion. If you're trying to share it, it's very, it's not very shareable. I mean, it may be you and one other person, but uh, the 200 ml from, in our opinion, or from our perspective, it's, it's enough to share with a small group and you can taste it together and you can do that across three different expressions.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I really advocate for it. I think it's worth the investment, uh, especially for, you know, smaller distilleries that have a lot of products or even with a few products that want to get their name out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And only a few others do it. I know like AD laws does it. I think they're just called laws now, but laws whiskey house, but uh, very few do it. And it's something I'd like to see more of. Uh, So take that for what you will, those who listening, but you know, there's definitely, I can tell you, there's a market for it for sure. And if you need to expand that market, just market it as try it first. Worked for Coke, it'll work for you. So, <laughs> all right. So uh, with uh, you know about 20, 30 minutes left, I wanted to jump back into the uh, products themselves. So in addition to the uh, infusion series, so I've gotten to chase the, the cherry whiskey a couple of times now uh, and have loved it every time, despite me being a self-professed proof whore and it being a lower proof. Um, not saying I wouldn't love a 90, 100 proof version of it, saying, but it's very, very good where it's at. Uh,
1: uh, do, you, do you mean something like the barrel proof cherry?
0: So not quite. So I, I have the barrel proof okay. one too, and I do love that. But <laughs> okay. um, there's something there's something different. You know, like for me, the the barrel proof is very much for me, at least a a bourbon. With that, uh, you know the the very very large tea bag of cherries um, infused in it. So it's, but it still kind of leans to the bourbon side for me, with a cherry mm-hmm. flavor to it. Whereas the cherry whiskey uh, is more about the freshness of the cherries, and there's it's brighter. It, it it tastes more like the the cherries themselves, as opposed to the bourbon being very strong on it. Each has their place, yep. for sure. But I think there is something in the middle, maybe. Um, and I don't know mm. if, it, if it's lowering the bourbon or upping the cherry. I don't know which direction to go there. But there's something in the middle that I know I would love to try. And uh, I think the guys at Dad's Drinking the Bourbon would love to try, too. So um, <laughs> maybe there's something there.
1: Noted. Noted. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but so I've gotten to try the cherry whiskey a couple of times. Um, I did get to try the apple uh, infused whiskey. While I was there, I haven't tried the peach one. Uh, I think was it was it out at that time? It might have just been out of stock. It's possible.
1: No, it. Uh, we launched it in May or June of this year.
0: Okay, so that's that's pretty new then. So okay, yeah,
1: a little bit after your visit.
0: All right. Well, I will have to try some of that too because uh, there's a. There's not a lot of infused bourbon or infused whiskeys that are that good frankly mm. Mm. <laughs> you know um and i do i do really enjoy the cherry whiskey i uh, no i remember i enjoyed the apple whiskey i ended up going with the bottle of the rye instead but i did enjoy the apple whiskey so i'm curious what the peach will be like yeah but the so the, but the other uh two products that i really wanted to shine a light on were number one the wheat whiskey yes so, yep, you know, not a lot of people doing wheat whiskey more recently, but still not a lot, and uh, even fewer doing it at Barrel Proof, or Barrel Strength. Right. And I was thinking about this when I was uh, I was down in Kentucky three and a half months ago or so, did the Heaven Hill to your own experience. Uh, nice. You know, the first time I did it, I did it twice, and the first time I did, I did the Bernheim Barrel Proof because you can't get it. And it was, I mean, it was delicious. I chose it on taste, but also you can't get it. And the second time I went with Larceny, but um, with the when they were doing the explanation of this is the product, this is the, this product, whatever. The guide said, you know, there are really only two wheat whiskeys out there right now. There's us and Woodford Reserve. Mm. And I once we went into the room and I could take him aside for a second. I said, you know, no disrespect meant, but that's not true.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: you've got, um, you know, you got Traverse City. You've got uh, old, uh, not old Sorry, um, Midwest. Uh, you know, wow, I'm, I'm completely blanking on. Oh, Middle West. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Middle West doing the wheat whiskey, and a couple of others too. And I said, it may not be at the same volume as you guys are doing it at, but they're they're out there and they're getting there so yes in in this northern climate even with four seasons what made you decide to do a wheat whiskey and not only a wheat whiskey but not a wheated bourbon but a wheat whiskey
1: yeah no the wheat <clears throat> the wheat whiskey came into play it was kind of it's i hate to use the, the term again it was also part of this idea of thoughtful spaghetti. You know, we we like wheat. We like wheat. Weed, we did both wheated did whiskeys and we did bourbons. Um, the recipe on our wheat whiskey is the 95% wheat, 5% malted barley. And I, you know, I personally have always been a huge fan of wheat whiskeys and just like seeing seeing the direction that they're going, which is, is not nearly as traditional as a bourbon. Certainly not uh, as spicy or buttery as a rye and it's new newer to your point uh it's not widespread it's unique you know it's very challenging in this crazy climate of everybody's doing a thousand different finishes and putting their twist on um you know how the products built. just like our, our infusion series that's our twist um how we how do we do something that is that is purely um It's focused just on the whiskey, not in any finisher infusion. And and also, you know, how do we find how do we create something that we enjoy and that we're passionate about? And it happens to be a wheat whiskey. And we were drinking, you know, it's the same way the cocktail cherries were created. We we were using an Italian competitor at our cocktail bar, and we were using a lot of their cherries. And we're a whiskey company based in the cherry capital of the world. Why are we using cherries from out of the country? So we made our own. And why are we drinking a wheat whiskey from a competitor? Why don't we just make our own? So we tried it, and here we are.
0: <laughs> and I mean, now it's got to be a couple years old. When uh, when did you start distilling that?
1: Yeah, we so we we produced our first batch with. MGP back in 2015 with, I'm i pretty sure they were the Canton barrels and we only produced 10 because mm. at the time it was, you, know, you, you never know where these projects are going to go. That's one thing that I've, I always kick myself for is whenever, whenever we make something fun, like the weed of whiskey, we mm. never produce enough. Ever, 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 not even close. There's always the want. Why didn't we do this years ago? You know, we're idiots. This is ridiculous. We keep making the same mistake. And fast forward to 2017. um, That was when we decided to to kick it up a notch. And we tasted the 2015 along the way. And it was so far so good. It was great. And so we produced... A really strong handful of barrels. And this was part of a release two months ago across the country. We did a big single barrel release from New York to California and released probably now it's probably been close to 50 barrels of the 95.5, to 95% wheat, 5% malted barley. It's just when fun I... and cool.
0: Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. no. It was good. When, when I was there, um, I got to taste it because there was one bottle left on the tasting cart. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was looking around and I said, you know, I don't see it on, on any of the shelves and Curtis was like, yeah, this is the last bottle um, from that batch. <laughs> so uh, I was, I was very happy to get the chance to taste it again. Now. I mean, I know it's a different batch, but still to, to taste it, still just as good. Uh, you know, those tasting notes and tasting notes for, for everything that's been, uh, that I've had, plus what's been provided, it's going to be coming out when this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. And it was fun to to try it. It was also fun to try it against some of those competitors. Mm-hmm. And it was really very few competitors to try it against. Because, again, you, there's so few of them to begin with, plus so few at barrel strength.
1: Yep. yep exactly.
0: So... Um, I would argue that there's not really a there isn't really a wide market competitor for it. There's the, the Bernheim, for example, if you want the cast strength, you got to do the body of your own experience. Can't buy it anywhere mm-hmm. else. Woodford's is not uh, cast strength. Uh, Middle West does not put out a cast strength version of it, I don't think. Um, so, I mean, there's just not a comparison that's readily available, which makes it unique in the market and thus worth seeking out. Yes. So um, I know I'm sharing uh, with a couple of my friends, bring it to a bottle share so they can taste some barrel string wheat whiskey. And I'm, I'm sure they will enjoy it as I did. Uh, One other question on there was, well, actually two. So one being you said you liked, weeded bourbons and weeded whiskeys in the past. So, uh, why did you try a weeded bourbon as well? Or did you just say, you know, we want to try a wheat whiskey and leave it at that.
1: Yeah. The latter really. Um, it's, you know, one, one, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Tarantino this story, but you know, we produce a lot of bourbon in house. So therefore, we taste a lot of bourbon in house. The the second most produced spirit under our roof is rye, uh, both 100% rye and a 95 five, the 95% rye, 5% all the barley. And we just kind of get um, it. It ends up just being like the uh, a single lane or two lanes of of profiles that we get. I don't to say numb is not. Right. But it's just it's very consistent. And so our crew, one thing that we're really we advocate internally is at the end of uh, our day we host a a group meeting called we call the tailgate. And at the tailgate, our, our team is encouraged to bring fun bottles that they find from around the country and just share with everybody. And it's a really exciting event because again, we get siloed with bourbon and rye. And so we'll sample through it and it's it's our team's um, moment to just to try something outside the box. You know, to your point, you gotta go to the distillery to bottle it, to buy it. It's not available anywhere else. And you know, over the course of time, different spirits like like a weed, you know, weeded whiskey or a weeded bourbon are just they're they're fun and elegant and they pop and it, it was just something that, you know, after Trying several, we we're just like we, we got to do more of this, and that's kind of how this popped up. I mean, that's that was like the birth of several innovations beyond just the wheat.
0: So that's what it seems. And uh, the last question on the wheat is: Do you still use a different cooperage for it?
1: We've uh, we have diversified um, several. We've uh, the Canton was what we started with. I think we moved on to Kelvin and two others in 2017 and we have not we've only produced a little bit between 2017 and now but um it again it's, it's hard because we only the weed is not as robust in the market as the bourbon so to, mm-hmm. to toy too much feels uh risky right because you know what if you stray off the path of this pet project and, and it gets weird you know, you, you just never know. Okay.
0: It Makes sense. And, uh, I, I have it in the note here that I, my question was supposed to be, and I, I truncated it, but it was, does it still use a different cooperage than the rye does? And I'm uh, not no, sure. They,
1: yeah, no, they, they, they share. There's absolutely overlap between the
0: wheat and the rye. All right. So. In that case, let's, you know, let's dive into that last product, the rye. And So people have, you know, listeners, they're going to know, I love been on a rye kick recently. I think it's tailing off, to be honest. I'm getting to scotch again for the next probably month or so, but uh, this was like a four month rye kick. And among them, I got Traverse City during there. I also got a lot of different varietals like Rosen Rye, Danko's and, Rymans, uh-huh. Wheelers, all these different ryes, and so uh, in terms of the rye that you guys are using, you're starting again with MGP 95.5, very classic. Uh, moving to a house made one hundred percent rye, and then yep. blending those together over time. So, you know the the question, or the the series of question, kind of mirrors what we do with the bourbons, which was you know has that profile changed over time. And where is it? Where is it now? And where is that profile going?
1: Yeah. So we have, we do have two ryes. One is our barrel proof rye. The other is our bottle well, again, what we call our bottle proof rye, which is ninety proof. And the the barrel proof is predominantly, you know, it's really focused on the ninety five five. Whereas the North Coast rye at ninety proof is that 50 50 blend of the hundred percent rye and the ninety five five. And the flavor profile of that rye has been pretty consistent over time. The reason we blended the two recipes together was to get that balance. You you typically have with a rye, you have, you have a a butter uh, profile and you have a spice profile. And I think a lot of rye drinkers gravitate toward typically one or the other, maybe both, but typically one or the other. And our goal, with the North Coast Rye was to blend the two to kind of create the best of both worlds and, and provide uh, a light spice with a butter finish. And it has stayed relatively consistent over time. Um, you know, just being a lower volume product and having this great blending team, it's, it's really helped uh, the the continuity in the, in the profile. And I, I believe it will stay consistent going forward.
0: And when you started off distilling, uh, you know your own hundred percent rye. Um, you had another dist- distillery that was, <clears throat> pardon me, that was helping with uh, fermentation capacity. This was a couple years ago. Now, um, yep. was that also MGP or was that a third distillery in the mix?
1: That was a third distillery in the mix. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm uh, guessing can't yeah, tell me like, which one.
1: No, I I can. They're they've, they have they have. Since retired um, out of uh, Wisconsin, Death's Door.
0: Oh, yeah, I knew about them. Yeah. Yep.
1: So they, uh, I I don't think they're currently, um, I don't think they're in operation any longer. But we worked with them for many years. And um, we also did, yeah, we did work with um, Terracentia a little bit. Uh, They're out of, they're down south. But they handled the uh, the fermentation for us, and then we we distilled um, the the mash, and that's that's been the base of our product for a long time. And um, yeah, we we haven't distilled the we haven't distilled the hundred percent rye in about a year now. But I, I I trust that we'll pick it back up uh, this winter, probably January February.
0: Um, just you face the same. Uh, you know the same problems that everyone else does with that foaming and stickiness oh yeah
1: yeah that's you know the 100 percent riot that's that's the that's the funk right there the synthetic enzymes make it just not not as set it and forget it as bourbon that is for <laughs> sure it is a high a high maintenance spirit
0: and you know you're i know you're moving away from using the uh, mgp as a the proportions kind of about the same as they were with the bourbon. Like you're going down from fifty-fifty, not not in the north coast, which you said is fifty-fifty, but the other the barrel proof um, is it? Yes. But yeah, the the, the,
1: the barrel proof is is much heavier. The barrel proof rye is much heavier MGP than yeah the the barrel proof bourbon, the barrel proof rye, the barrel proof uh, wheat are all just heavy MGP. Um, whereas the bottle proofs, actually, even the well, like like we talked about earlier, the bottle proof bourbon is heavy, MGP ninety ten, and then yeah, the North Coast is the fifty fifty.
0: Awesome. All right, I think we have almost reached the end here, and the last thing is just those experimentals. So, in addition to the uh, whatever that cask was that I saw, um, any other teasers you want to put out for? casks or things coming out
1: yeah so the you mentioned the experimental series um or i guess it's the the trade name is the finishing series which is what you you sampled i think you probably sampled the high rye bourbon finishing um sherry casks uh we're doing there's three expressions in that uh, that set uh we're doing our first box set which is finishing series a port finished bourbon a sherry finished high rye bourbon and a cab franc finished 100 percent rye and they're just all super fun and bright and yeah the aromatics are just they're they're what you'd expect from a good quality wine barrel finish um in addition to that teasers for this year uh, we're we're probably a month or two months away from releasing our our innovation calendar for 23. I will tell you there may be there may be a cream liqueur in the set. Um, mm-hmm. you know, of course, we're going to do. We have our distillery only releases for our our distiller select around um, around July, our holiday edition around December, which we may be releasing our. Uh, when is this podcast being released?
0: This uh, one's going to come out a couple weeks from now. I can give you a date a second. This will be uh, on the 28th.
1: Okay. So this will be just following up the release of our 2022 holiday edition. So yeah, we're selecting a, a couple fancy barrels to release our gift shops on the 16th of this month. And we're going to do the same thing next year. And the other big fun event is going to be our our cherry whiskey fest which is our annual release of the barrel proof cherry
0: whiskey and I said I've gotten to attend two of them both virtual fortunately and unfortunately but those yeah. were some great times and you got to try some cherry whiskey that was really damn good and again got some of the cocktail cherries which might have been an even better haul I can't say which one was better <laughs> yeah all right so you know chris thank you so much for taking the time to uh, you know go through Traverse City whiskey companies um, some some of the history but also what more so what you're doing now and the just huge range of products it's uh, actually I'm gonna grab a screenshot before we finish there just so you can see and you know the the um, again I just I urge people to go visit it's really not only a great distillery it's also a great place really enjoyed my time there it's also the heart of wine country up there if you're you know plenty of wineries uh not as many distilleries visit Traverse City Distillery but you can be a little more promiscuous with the wine uh wineries and just go try stuff it's a beautiful place in the summer winter I was there in the yeah in May and it was just perfect so um Chris hang out with me for a sec after we finish recording Yeah. And uh, of course, like I said, there will be reviews and tasting notes and information about these releases coming out when the podcast goes live. Hopefully on the 28th, there may still be a couple of those bottles of the holiday releases and special releases available. If not, you will know for next year. So put it on your calendar and you won't miss it. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening. It's been another episode of the Whiskey Ring Podcast. See you next week.